everybody, and welcome to week 31 of 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I'm your host, Andrea Pagnosi, and I'm also a career empowerment coach who's fiercely dedicated to helping everyone in 2022 reach their true career potential. You know, from interviews to communicating one's personal branding to just even trying to get up the corporate ladder, people continue to write to me, I'm struggling at times to sound and feel authentic in situations that I shouldn't be so worried about. I should feel very, very comfortable in these situations. And for some reason, I just don't, particularly in situations where they need to showcase their talent, their candidacy, their value in conversation. It's not a fear of public speaking, mind you. It's rather a fear of publicly speaking about oneself, positioning oneself favorably versus competition at times when you're competing for a role or a promotion or something like that, or just having imposter syndrome to overcome in a workplace situation when you're a leader or a new leader, especially sometimes it takes a little bit of coaching to get out of one's way. Our guest this week, Jordan Tepfer, works with clients to win the battle and does so by enabling people to lead with their values so they overcome that fear and doubt. He spent 12 plus years in the financial services industry, managing teams and people and serving clients as a CPA. He is also a CFP, which is a certified financial planner at a big four accounting firm, an international law firm, and as the chief operating officer of a private investment office. The vast majority of his career was under the billable hour model with weekly client hour goals, constant deadlines, constant client and employee calls and emails, constant connectivity, constant anxiety, and little sleep. So he knows what he's talking about. He's come from that space. Fittingly, Jordan specializes in helping ambitious professionals like he was, whose work has overtaken their lives, but still want great success. And he currently lives in Rochester, New York with his wife and two young children that he adores. That is why he is joining 52 Weeks this week. Jordan, welcome. Thank you, Andrea. Happy to be here. <laughs> I am not kidding you. There are literally people calling me on the daily, talking to me about in this highfalutin corporate environment. I really am flummoxed as to why this is suddenly happening to me, but I go absolutely mute sometimes when I'm in front of a live audience or I don't know what to say to people that I haven't said already. <laughs> They're running out of ways to articulate and communicate. There's a lot of anxiety driven there. Are you seeing much the same in your place of business? Absolutely. I, there's always, regardless of the amount of preparation, people always have that worry and doubt of, oh, well, this person did that. I'm not doing that. And, and the doubt of the imposter syndrome, I'm just not up to snuff here, or maybe I'm not. Yeah, that is so prevalent regardless of success level, regardless of experience level. I see that come up. It's one of the most common themes that seems to come up with my clients. You yourself traveled in this realm. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you started coaching people through this process. Well, so as you kind of laid out in my brief bio there, I lived the work takes precedence over everything and everything is pushed to the side, which includes relationships, things that aren't work-related, prior commitments. It was just, I need to make time for work and make time for if work potentially comes up on the weekends. So I live that work is everything lifestyle. 
a big part of that was my approach, which was one with perfectionist tendencies. With that comes a lot of over-preparation, really feeling like if I really dig into this, I'm going to be so prepared and I'll, I'll cover all my bases that I'm going to feel that much more comfortable, that much more confident. I won't have those doubts and those worries. And that approach coupled with an industry that I worked in that's very much inherently set up to be very demanding, having those weekly and monthly billable hour goals, even if you're doing things as you should be, you're still working a lot. So you start throwing on those other layers of this perfectionism and, and things like that, and it can really get out of hand. And it was when the pandemic hit and really everything slowed down and didn't have the ability to just bury myself in work, I, I was kind of forced to face certain things, like how I had neglected certain relationships, how I couldn't just go do things to take my mind off things. It kind of forced me to face what I had been doing for the past dozen years and really take a step back and look at it. And I had been successful, so I hadn't necessarily done that much self-reflecting on, okay, what is the cost of that? And when I really stepped back and said, okay, well, if I look back in 20 years, am I going to be pleased with the choices I made? Am I going to be the husband, the father to my two children that don't get to pick who their father is? Will I be happy with how I live those 20 years? And that was just so clear that my approach to work and what it was costing me was not going to work. It just became very clear that I needed to make some type of change. What that change was, wasn't totally clear at the time, but certainly my approach to work, the cost that I was paying to have the success that I was having was too high. And it was easy to fall into that trap because you're having that quote unquote success, raises, promotions, things like that. So you say, oh, I'm doing the right thing. It just becomes a habit, became a habit of the way I was working. I knew it was an issue once I reflected on it. I didn't know how to change it. And so that's kind of how I started to begin arriving at coaching. I had worked with some coaches briefly in my time while in, in the big four accounting firm, but really the pandemic was, was what really sparked things for me in terms of uh, the, the beginning of the process, getting into coaching. I think that's true of a lot of people. Maybe 99.5% of the people that I talk to will say that in some way, shape or form, their values actually changed as a result of the overtime they were putting in. Gone were the days of the three hour commute, but the three hours were put into Zoom meetings and MS team meetings and WebExes, and they weren't put into people time. How much of the conversations that you have with your clients is driven around values practice in their ambition? It is so central to the relationship and the coaching that I do with clients. And it's interesting because I think a lot of clients, when they begin the journey, they aren't expecting that to be the case necessarily. Maybe there isn't the awareness of what those values are. But so much of it, of what the uncovered and what the client wants, that is based on what they value. It's so common to be, for there to be such a misalignment in those that it's really eye-opening for clients. Most often when they see that, say, wow, I never really thought about that because you just kind of go to work and care about it, but you're just, you're just working and you're working the way that seems like the right way to work. 
And you're not necessarily forced to look at those values, even though they are so central and so important, but there's not like checkpoints where it's like, okay, let's check in with our values and uh, see how they're showing up here. And I think to your point, the pandemic maybe sparked that for a lot of people where they were forced to really take a step back from everything. They were forced to drastically change the way they were working or certain things that were just so normal previously really, oh, I missed that. I I missed those things. Values are probably one of the most central pieces of coaching. When you really get down to what's important to a person and how they want to show up and what they want their life whether it's professional life, personal life, to really look like going forward. It's really tied so closely to those values. We talk offline in preparation for the program about a topic that is really driven by value, which is people's perception of self, the way that they want to come across in front of an audience, in front of their teams, in front of their peers, is almost on a different level of values. It is a different type of ambition. You want to show up well because of what you just said. You struck a chord with me when you said we weren't checking in with our personal values. We weren't checking in with the way that the companies wanted us to come across. And sometimes when we did, we we found that misalignment. So I think it sort of put people into a bit of a tailspin. I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about how that worry and doubt has shown up in some of your clients and what you're seeing as a common thread, if anything. Absolutely. I would say that a lot of the clients that I have are successful, quote unquote, successful. They, If you looked at their careers on paper, you would say, wow, this is impressive. But one of the pieces that seems to come up quite a bit is the the stress, the anxiety, the worry. And, you know, you look at it on paper, you say, this person seems so successful and they've been so capable and have accomplished so much. The experience that they're having in order to kind of get to that point is not enjoyable for a lot of these clients and really burning them out in many instances. So getting the results is one thing, but they're coming to me because work is just overwhelming them. Basically, it's kind of saying with all the overwhelm, why is that happening? What is causing that and getting to the root of that? And a lot of that is that that worry, that doubt, and what they're doing is overworking that that stress to protect themselves from the criticism there, protecting themselves from, from potentially failing or not living up to their standards. And what it's causing is this, this burnout or extremely high cost to getting them the results they want. And in some instances, they're really holding themselves back from having even greater results because they're embracing that worry and that doubt so heavily, regardless of objectively, whether or not this person is totally capable, not having nothing to do with their capabilities, just regardless of that. What perpetuates that? And why has it become so prominent as a result of the pandemic? Because you and I both said that. I think it's natural to gravitate towards the natural humans trying to protect yourself from things. And, and it's, it's natural to focus on the negative from, from a standpoint of like protection. So I think there is a natural piece of it. But as it relates to impact that the pandemic has had on that, less interaction, maybe not getting the same amount of relationships and and, and things like that, relying more on connecting with people via Zoom, social media, stuff like that. And that's just not the same as 
is in-person connection. You know, I think that plays into it. It just really stresses how important the relationships and that human connection piece of it is to showing up. I agree with you. I think at the start of the program, I was saying how whether it's an interview for a new job or whether you're trying to position yourself for a promotion or you're just preparing for a project presentation, there are key essential factors that are vastly different in the bubble of a virtual environment than in the fish tank or the, the goldfish bowl of a, of a corporate environment where you can sit and get to know one another, go out to lunch with one another and have a normal interaction versus the occasional presence that somebody may or convey in a virtual environment. When you're doing your coaching this coming up, I have one chance to make a first impression and I'm really kind of freaked out by it. Or is it something that has happened? Because the other thing I see that's a little bit different is the way that people are evaluated in a virtual environment. It's a little bit more about how do you cultivate a sense of community, a sense of belonging, a sense of getting to know one another. Do you communicate effectively? I see a lot more surveys, assessments focused on the connectivity that people have in a corporate environment ever more than they did when people were going into an office setting. Are you seeing any of this as well? This kind of gets at this question and and maybe the previous one as well, just with not feeling as great of a connection because things are being done virtually as opposed to in person. It's easier to have like a self-criticism because you don't feel that connection with a person. It's not easy to connect with them. So you're kind of left to feel like, am I doing something wrong? Or, you know, what's missing here? It's really easy to bring that inward, playing into that doubt. Am I doing this wrong? Organizations have certainly made a a real effort to focus on that communication, focus on that connection. See a lot of virtual happy hours and things like that, which would be obviously completely unheard of before, but really getting at, hey, we recognize how important this stuff is and we're doing the best we can do with it, even though we have to be virtual here. It really requires more effective communication if you have to do it virtually and also just a greater confidence. You know, when you really dig a little bit, it kind of makes sense that it does require more confidence because you don't have that as much of a connection with with the person on the screen. You, You don't get the same body language. You can't see all of the as people are migrating back to more of an office setting, are seeing some of that come back around? Yeah, I think so. I think generally speaking, aside from the convenience of, of working from home in the virtual setting, which you know certainly exists, people generally are really enjoying that in-person uh, communication, in-person connection. That that is one piece that the vast majority of the clients, like that's what they, that's what really what they were missing and has really been an improvement. The people that have gotten more face-to-face interaction. When people are coming to you to build this type of personal credibility and swap out the worry and doubt for more authenticity and more confidence in who they are, how do you work with them? What are some of the steps you take to kind of position them favorably in situations where they're becoming a little less confident? Great question. Of course, every client is unique. So it's really about what they're going through and and really hearing out what they're experiencing and what is really holding them back. A couple of the things we really like to do is to really imagine that the person is whatever field they're in. Imagine that they are best in their 
a scientist, you're the top scientist in your field, you win all these awards, everything like that. And if you imagine you were that person, then say, okay, you are that person. Now imagine going through the day doing whatever your, your work is, would there still be that worry and that doubt? Would you still, would there still be things to really latch onto as it relates to those? And in every instance, in my experience, the client has said, yes, especially the, the people that, you know, where that's a, a major issue without a doubt, they said, yes. And so it's interesting because it really brings this awareness to, oh, okay. So I can't avoid this worry and this doubt. Yes. Like there are things that reduce it, preparation, practice, experience, all those things might reduce it but you can't eliminate it entirely. And so kind of laying the foundation of that is going to exist, that worry, that doubt, that fear, that is going to exist regardless. And that's been incredibly empowering for people to kind of come to the realization that, okay, I have the choice and it sounds so simple, but I have the choice where I can embrace being confident and really you know, choose that to embrace that confidence versus that worry, that doubt, and that fear. And that's been an incredibly powerful piece with clients, and which again, sounds so simple, but really going through that process and saying like, oh, it ultimately is a choice. That is a simplified way of saying it, but, but yes, I ultimately have to make that choice because that all that worry, that doubt, that fear, that will always exist. And there's nothing I'm going to be able to do about it to completely eliminate it. Yeah. Forgive yourself for the things that you can't control. Recognize the things you can and accept the things and go from there. You and I both have spoken to the fact that as human beings, we have a desire to be the best and be successful and so forth. Um, but there are times when we over-prepare thinking that that's going to enable us to knock it out of the park. When in reality, sometimes over-preparing makes us rigid. There's a need for agility. If we've learned anything from a pandemic, we didn't anticipate. <laughs> we got to be agile. We've got to be prepared for anything. And it's impossible to over-prepare. Don't you think? Oh yeah, you could spend the rest of your life preparing for things. Absolutely. And that is this over-preparation piece that I mentioned before, which is, you know, for a lot of people, the next step when you talk about the worry and doubt and, and what the step is, is that's kind of the next step. Like, well, why do you prepare? Why, why, why do you over-prepare and all of that? And a lot of it's like, well, you know, playing into that worry and doubt, well, I'm, I want to protect myself from potentially failing, you know, and that's how that a lot of that plays in there, but yeah, you could spend the rest of your life preparing and, um, you know, is that going to do you any good? Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, fine line between, you know, the, the appropriate amount of preparation for you and inappropriate amount. Was there a particular client that comes to mind where you had a conversation of the sort where the self-criticism just kept creeping in and what did you do to kind of overcome that? Yeah, well, there's a, a couple things. So there's one client of mine, and and one of the questions I asked him was was basically, you know, so yeah, you're you're kind of really falling into the trap of of embracing that that fear piece of it, and just asking, well, like I, ideally, whether or not you can do it right now, like what would what does it look like to take your best foot forward in in these situations, you know, and and he really said. 
well, I mean, I would kind of move forward confidently. And he really talked about when, you know, people, they might not even saying be saying things that are correct or, you know, whatever, when they present themselves confidently and, and they're, you know, they're not coming across as wishy-washy or you don't, you can't see that doubt. Number one, it's, it's, you know, he's like, yeah, because I find that more, it's more appealing to listen to someone like that. And you also don't pay attention to, you know, the, the, you're not, you don't criticize them as easily because, oh yeah, that seems whether or not I agree with that. Hey, this seems interesting. And um, the other thing he said on top of all that with, with coming through with the confidence is just, he's like, and if I wasn't, if I didn't have all that, that worry and that fear and that stress as I'm going through this, how much more enjoyable. I mean, and that is one of the, such a huge piece is like, yes, you might get through it, embracing all that worry and that doubt. And with that over-preparation, you might have these, these results that you're pleased with, but what is that costing you in terms of, um, you know, the actual process, which is the vast majority, you know, of whatever you're doing. It's not the result. It's, it's, it's the process itself. And that was really the, the realization for that specific client where I was like, wow, I, that alone, regardless of the results, that alone is enough, you know, for that was enough for that person to really say, this is something I really want to focus on because if I'm really being honest with myself, I'm getting these results, but I am not enjoying this process at all. And not enjoying that process means pretty much not enjoying the vast majority of his life up to that point, you know, professional life. Um, so that was a, that's the one that really sticks out uh, that actually just happened fairly recently. Regardless of results, that is a good title to this discussion because I think enough people have held them back help themselves back from, and I've talked about this on a couple of different episodes now, what I like to refer to is leaping without looking, taking the risk, because at the end of it, regardless what the outcome, there's something to be learned. And there's so much more to enjoy and feel succinct about when you walk away from something with a key takeaway, key takeaway. How do you hold um, people to plants, how do you hold them accountable to the things that you guys work on and see them through implementation? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends. It's, it's up to the client ultimately on, on what they want their accountability to look like. Some clients really, you know, use me to hold them accountable in terms of, Hey, I want to do this, this, this by our next session or something of that nature. And then, you know, we'll follow up the next session or some clients want to uh, communicate with, with, with me between sessions and say like, Hey, uh, in the next three days, I'm going to do this. And then by the next session, I'm going to do that. And, and, you know, they either do it via email or, uh, via video on Marco Polo, but so, you know, whatever, some people say, Hey, accountability is, I'm going to talk to my wife about this and she's going to hold me accountable to it. So it all depends. It's really, that's a beautiful thing. It's whatever the person decides on, whatever they think will work best for them. Um, but it's very interesting, as you mentioned, you know, as you, you talked about, um, you, you made that, that comment and, you know, a, a couple of things really, um, 
came up for me. And this, with, with this detachment from the outcome, mm-hmm. um, like kind of jumping in, you know, without knowing where you're going to go. And that is, it's all so related with like embracing that confidence and, and that worry and that doubt and, and leaving that to the side. You know, when, when someone is embracing that confidence and, and essentially like just saying, Hey, this is, this is me. I, I'm going to, you know, proceed naturally and confidently and whatever happens happens knowing that what else could I possibly do? I can't be something I'm not. I mean, it's kind of, you know, I've prepared up to this point. I've practiced up to this point, And now I'm going to proceed with this confidence, knowing that, hey, I have everything I need to just perform at the, the best level that I can right now. Knowing that that's all they can do. Like, what else could you do? Which then creates this detachment from the outcome, knowing like, hey, that is the best foot forward. As I mentioned, the one client that said like, yeah, the best approach for me, even though I have a hard time seeing myself being able to do it is to approach it with confidence. So getting to that point is basically, Hey, I'm approaching this with confidence and the, the outcome is, it may not be a positive outcome, the outcome that I want, but there was nothing I could really do. I I gave it my, my best and having that detachment to that outcome is an incredibly empowering, empowering way to, approach things because you're not letting your failures define you. So people always talk about failure is so powerful and and it's, you should want to fail all the time, but if you're living and dying by your outcome, you're not going to be able to fail and then just move on quickly or learn from it and move on. I mean, if you're the type that's over preparing to protect yourself from criticism and things like that, well, when you fail, a lot of times you're going to take that really hard and it's going to take a long time to get over it. And so much so that you might avoid doing whatever you failed at versus if you, if you, you develop that detachment from the outcome, then you're, you can kind of say, okay, whatever happens, you know, is fine. You take what you can learn from it and then move on so much, so much more, so much quicker than, than, uh, you know, if you're really, living and dying or letting that outcome define you. So in that case, then yeah, failure is great because you can move on from it quickly. Um, And the other part, as I mentioned before, is with that, it's so much more enjoyable. I mean, to get an undesirable outcome and then dwell on it for a week. I mean, that sounds horrible versus having an undesirable outcome. Okay. Accepting it, moving on in giving yourself a chance to digest it, moving on in 10 minutes, which one would someone choose in that case? I would say people are going to choose the, the latter. I think if we look to professional athletes, we think about how often after a game, the hardcore press goes after the losing team. And it's been five minutes since they walked off the field or got out of the pool or whatever. And they say, why didn't you win? Why weren't you number one? And so often you'll hear an athlete say before they've even had a chance to process or see the tapes or listen to the coaches, we didn't play our best. I didn't play my best. I didn't execute as well as I could have, but we gave it an effort 
that could have been better. We need to take a look and see what we did wrong and fill the gaps. And that's kind of why coaching drew me in initially when I was in a place where I hired a coach and I said, I'm a corporate executive. I'm only getting so far in my career. I'm having a difficult time, just like the clients I talked about in the beginning, public speaking, getting my point across, being heard. I'm giving it a try. I'm giving it my effort, but I'm not saying what they want to hear that will get me the outcome that I'm looking for. I was so tied to the outcome. When I started with a coach, they coached me exactly what you're saying, which is you strive to be the best. But when it falls short of goal, instead of beating yourself up about it, dwelling on it for a week, you move on to the next game by figuring out quickly, what did you do wrong and redirect it? And instead of beating yourself up, think about the things you did well. Think about the things that you executed on, not necessarily what you didn't and find the delta between the two. And I think that's a lot of what you're saying. And I, I love it. I think that's very inspirational. How do your clients embrace their authenticity? What are some of the creative ways that you've seen some of your clients recoup? Yeah. If I was listening to this, I would say, well, okay, that sounds easier said than done, right? <laughs> I, but so it's interesting because um, this is probably the most central piece of it that has come up with clients that maybe there hasn't been as much awareness for them. Um, and certainly was my experience as well was how their, their self-talk played into, mm. played into the ability to kind of embrace that confidence and not the, the worry, the fear, really focusing on that self-talk internally and externally. Like, okay, you know, before you speak, are you saying, sorry, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a great speaker, so bear with me here. And it's like, well, I mean, not only does that crush you, you know, in terms of your confidence, but now everyone's looking out for things of, uh, okay, so we've laid that, you know, if that wasn't said, they probably wouldn't even, wouldn't ever cross their mind. No, you, you did fine. A lot of that, and it's so natural and it's such, it can be such a, you know, just a small habit. Um, that really having a focus on that and moving forward, that alone was so impactful for many of the clients, because many of these clients, like negative self-talk was so prevalent, you know, and then there's the whole positive, replacing negative self-talk with positive self-talk has been another piece of it where it's, okay, not only am I eliminating that negative self-talk, but I'm, I'm replacing it with positive self-talk. Like, oh, I, I, I can do this. I, I am confident that, you know, what I can do naturally will, will be good enough. And, very, uh, very powerful, seems like such a small thing. And, you know, it's something that's so natural to, to, to not do. Uh, but that in of itself can make a huge, huge difference. Positive affirmations are great to read in a, in a uh, fortune cookie or a calendar, but it's even more powerful when you can program your mindset to shift to a point that before you go into that call, before you go into that Zoom meeting, before you go into that boardroom uh, or on that stage, you're able to say to yourself, I got this. I'm going to knock it out of the park. Absolutely. You mentioned affirmations. And again, so simple, but so powerful because 
once clients have identified things that are, are very central or very important to them in order to kind of get to where they want to be, affirmations have been incredibly effective at keeping that top of mind. Like, as you say, if they're about to approach something or go into something that's important to them, really saying those, those affirmations out, out loud in terms of how they want to show up in that, or if it relates to the, the positive self-talk or embracing that confidence and, and leaving the worry and the doubt behind. What the affirmations do is really just keep things top of mind. They, they, they really help to, as you, as you put it, rewire things. You know, if you're, if you're constantly exposed to this positive self-talk instead of negative self-talk, I mean, it makes sense that it would have some effect on you. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the the affirmation. Yeah, it's a really important strategy. It's something that as I've been talking to these people, as we've been doing the shows, as people have reached out, the listeners and said, you know, I'm loving this, but I just need some more something, something to push me, some coach to run alongside the sidelines and scream to me, but we can't be everything to everyone. We can't be there all the time. So what we need to impart is wisdom. That's going to be a strategy that they can pull the trigger on whenever they need it and build better habits. So I'm glad to hear that you're doing that as well. What do you think is the hardest thing to overcome as a coach when working with people who are swirling in worry and doubt and, and can't get those positive affirmation can't adopt them. Some clients can just be so overwhelmed by what's going on that things just seem so out of reach and just kind of process to really to where they need to feel heard first. They kind of need to process everything, get it out in order to then really get to the point where, okay, now we're ready to move forward from this. So really getting down to in those situations where there is just so much going on and it's so busy and they feel like they have such little time, say, it's okay, taking this amount of time or whatever is, it's not going to, to be disastrous. And like, for some people, it's like, I, even getting to the point of, of scheduling this coaching session, my schedule doesn't really allow for this, for the work piece of it. So just really getting, being able to take a step back, moving forward from it. Super helpful. How can people work with you? My website, uh, jordantemper.com, I am available for virtual one-on-one coaching. All the information is, is on the website and a lot of my background and a lot more of you know the things we, we talked about today. And there's also coaching within organizations, group coaching, things of that nature as well. And also a, an interesting attitudinal assessment, which has is, is been really great for a jumping off point with clients. Assess someone's personality are fairly common, especially within organizations, but this one is different where really assesses someone's attitude and how they approach different things like work and relationships and things of that nature, which really can evoke a lot of awareness in a lot of different aspects of someone's life. So that is, that is a big uh, foundational piece. Finding out where people are expending the most energy helps you to pinpoint as a coach where you're going to need to help them change that worry and doubt for more confidence and authenticity. So I appreciate all that you're doing for clients. I appreciate you coming on to 52 weeks of empowerment. Any final words for people who may be struggling to get over the worry and doubt slump? Yeah, I would say whether or not, and I should mention, thank you so much for having me. This I enjoyed it so much. I would say it might feel like 
what we talked about is not possible because you're just so busy and it's like, oh, that's that sounds so far out of reach. But I will say that it absolutely is not. And that is one of the one of the beautiful things about working with a coach and the unique relationship that working with a coach offers in where you can really get down to things that you haven't been able to get down to with whatever other relationship that you have. Talk to someone about it. It is an incredibly unique relationship and just such a powerful thing. And, and I really have that belief that anyone can attain the things we talked about, regardless of the situation. Thanks so much for doing what you do. I, I too have thoroughly enjoyed it. Jordan Tepfer for folks that are looking to overcome worry and doubt and so much more. Thank you so much for joining 52 Weeks of Empowerment this week. And for all of you listening, that's all we have for you this week, but we hope to have you back here same time next week. Same place, even more power.